But at the end of the day, you know, these are not systems that were created out of some sort of natural immutable law. These were systems created by human beings for human beings. So we as human beings can change them. I'm Julie Sabatier, and this is Rendered. As you know, we're all about creativity, whether that means literally making something or making the best of a difficult situation. That's the kind of creativity we're focusing on today. I met these chickens, and that rooster you just heard, on a 60-acre farm called Our Table Cooperative in Sherwood, Oregon. It's about 30 minutes south of Portland. So this is our main laying flock in this kind of fenced area, which we kind of expand and contract um, you know, as needed. Actually, their yard right now, this used to be blueberries, but it was a variety that was having a lot of problems, so we took it out. Um, and we've put in a plum orchard in here. Narendra Varma is the co-founder of Our Table. He took a bit of a meandering path to farming. He was born and raised in India and came to the U.S. for college. He studied education and technology at Brown before going to work for Microsoft. He's a systems guy. That's how his brain works. And it turns out that's a good way to approach growing, processing, and selling organic fruits and vegetables. And we grow 50 to 60 different varieties of vegetables because we have a vegetable CSA as well as we sell into groceries and um, in other kind of wholesale channels. Um, we have um, chickens for eggs. Uh, we also do meat chickens. Our table's main crop is blueberries. The farm has about 10 acres of them, and the day I was there, some families showed up to participate in the UPIC program. But Narendra says most of the blueberries are harvested by professionals. I've never met anyone who didn't like the taste of a perfectly sweet blueberry, and they grow well in Oregon's climate. So it seemed like a safe bet when Narendra and his wife started the farm in 2011. That first year, though, they faced a big challenge. We didn't have cold storage on the farm, so we would have to harvest at, you know, 4 and 5 in the morning and make sure that the fruit got to the stores by, let's say, noon or 2 p.m. because, you know, that's how long it could kind of sit without going into a refrigerator. It might not seem like such a big deal. I mean, farmers get up early, right? But this lack of refrigeration actually had a big impact on their business. You don't really know how much you're going to harvest until you harvest it, and then you're frantically making calls trying to sell it. And if somebody goes, well, I'll take it for a better price, you know, for a lower price, you really have no choice because you can't save it, you can't store it. As soon as you have cold storage, you suddenly have a little bit of flexibility. You can say, well, if I don't find a good buyer today, I can wait till tomorrow. This kind of problem is something that a lot of farmers face, particularly the ones who have operations about the same size as our table. We are too large to, to sort of sell everything we produce um, directly to individual customers, but we're too small to be in the commodity markets. Farmers that fit into this category are known as the ag of the middle. You might buy from these folks and not even realize it. A lot of them sell produce to restaurants and grocery stores, and they're in an awkward spot that forces them to get creative when it comes to processing food and getting it to market. You might not think of Oregon first when you think about farming, but it's not just a great place to grow blueberries. Oregon grows an incredible variety of products. That really is Oregon's strength in agriculture. I think we grow something on the order of 220 different varieties of products. Amanda Oborn should know. She's the vice president of Food and Farms for an organization called EcoTrust. It's a nonprofit based in Portland that focuses on environmental conservation and sustainability as it relates to food systems and farming. Amanda headed up a study that EcoTrust did over the last year and a half, 
looking at Oregon farms and ranches that fit that broad ag-of-the-middle category, like Narendra's. And it's really the farmers that we lost in the get bigger, get out days. You know, it used to be that everybody's family was engaged in agriculture one way or another and lots of mid-scale farmers. And those are the folks that we lost, but those are really the, the scale of operation that would serve a regional food system really, really well. Using a combination of available data and anecdotal evidence gathered from farmers and ranchers themselves, the study looked at what's missing for these producers. Amanda said she went into the study thinking there would be gaps that needed filling. But instead, she and her team found that there was an entire missing layer of infrastructure. Like Narendra in the early days of our table, a lot of smaller farms don't have access to adequate cold storage. And some are lacking the processing capacity necessary to expand their customer base. We were able to build a facility, the facility you see behind you, with cold storage in it because we were able to raise the capital to do so. Narendra's situation is a little unusual. He had financial resources and connections to investors from his days at Microsoft. So if you're a farmer who's not able to raise that capital, then you're kind of stuck. And we're not just talking about blueberries and refrigerators here. For example, there are a lot of small cattle ranches in eastern Oregon that don't have easy access to a slaughter facility, and many of them end up sending their cows out of state for butchering. So even with an abundance of ranches, it can be difficult to keep beef local. Amanda explained that one possible solution to this problem is for Oregon to produce more pork. Pork can be run in the same facilities and on the same equipment as beef if you run it at different times, even just different times of the day, and do a thorough cleaning in between. And there are regulations and certifications for all of that. Um, And and pork can be harvested year-round, unlike beef, which is a more seasonal product. So the slaughter facilities that might otherwise sit idle if they were just doing beef could be used year-round if they were doing beef and pork. Right now, most of the pork consumed in Oregon, as well as the rest of the country, comes from the Midwest. Those pigs are fed on corn and soybeans. But pigs are omnivores. They'll eat anything. And so the opportunity to work with grain farmers in the Northwest Wheat grows wonderfully well here. All kinds of grain varieties uh, grow wonderfully well here. And there's a lot of acreage that's still in grass seed production, and that industry isn't doing as well. So opportunity to convert some of that to rotational grains are stuff that, you know, that pigs might eat and that chickens might eat. And feed is really one of the highest costs in livestock production. And there's a real demand for organic feed and non-GMO verified feed and that kind of stuff. So I just, I see endless opportunity in feed, (laughs) which I hadn't expected at all going in. The study also found opportunities for niche products that are already grown in Oregon. The shallots or the cipollinis or the specialty kinds of onions where there is higher margin potential. What are cipollinis? They're delicious. They're these little, they kind of look like little donuts. They're flat and really, um, they have kind of a funky shape. And if you put a whole bunch of them in a cast iron skillet with some balsamic vinegar and just let them cook down, You can chop them up on salads or put them on burgers. They're delicious, very sweet. The EcoTrust team also looked at the other end of the supply chain, the people who buy from small and medium-sized farms. So schools, hospitals, jails, assisted living facilities, corporate cafes, um, special event venues like Providence Park or the zoo, I think institutions have the capacity to change the whole food system and really build regional food economies with their purchasing power, both the the millions of dollars that they spend on food and the volume of product that they buy and the diversity of product that they buy in all categories. 
And getting these kinds of institutions to purchase local meat and produce is nothing new. There are already assisted living facilities and corporate cafes that go out of their way to patronize local farms. And Ecotrust has a well-established farm-to-school campaign, for example. Getting locally grown food into the majority of prisons and hospitals may be a long way off. But there's another industry that's already very on board with this idea. Restaurants. Coming up, an Oregon fast food chain that could be a big player in reviving a regional food system. But first, I want to make sure you know about another awesome show on the Maximum Fun Network. If you've ever laughed at the Brits for the way they say schedule or Americans for the way we keep seeing Jesus in our food, join me, Dave Holmes, for International Waters, a transatlantic panel game that pits comedians in London and comedians in Los Angeles against each other in a deadly Skype-based pop culture battle royale. Every two weeks, or fortnightly, as they say in Britain, like they're better than us. Find it in iTunes or at MaximumFun.org. And now, back to the show. Thank you for choosing the Center Burger Bill. What can we get started for you today? An Oregon fast food chain called Burgerville changes its menu seasonally to incorporate products from local farms. Can I get some of the Walla Walla sweet onion rings? Yeah, anything else for What is your seasonal smoothie right now? Uh, it's blackberries. Jeff Harvey is Burgerville's president and CEO. He explained that the 53-year-old company tries to operate within what they call a 400-mile food shed, basically sourcing as many ingredients as they can within a 400-mile radius of Portland. About 72% of that menu is all uh, regionally sourced inside of that 400-mile food shed. And he says a lot of that food comes from mid-sized producers, like the ones in the Ecotrust study. But it can be a challenge to find mid-sized farms that are equipped to serve a business with 40 locations and roughly 35,000 customers a day. So if you haven't got processing, if you haven't got transportation, if you haven't got all those components that um, actually help produce consistency and scale for us, then we have challenges. Jeff sees this issue of supply chain consistency as a symptom of a larger problem. We're currently exporting more food from the Northwest than we're currently making available to the Northwest. So that makes us, in some categories of food, a net importer of food from places as far away as Argentina and Chile. And Jeff said something that, to me, sounded surprising coming from a CEO. I don't know that the current paradigm can continue. This is something that Narendra, at our table, believes as well. We know about it better than most people do because most of the people who work here can't afford this food. Okay, and that is real irony. It's, it's something that really, really disturbs us on a regular basis, that the, what we pay our own workers is not really sufficient for them to afford the, the cost of the food. And we know that we're not inflating the cost of the food, right? I mean, we, 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 we know how much it costs. We see it ourselves. And even though he'd like to be able to offer higher wages, one thing Narendra is committed to is offering people more than just seasonal work. Although there is certain seasonality, I mean, we all work harder in the summer and, you know, it's a little calmer in the winter. But all told, through the year, it averages out to, you know, like a 2,000-hour-a-year job, which is essentially a full-time equivalent. Amanda Oborn and Ecotrust are working on these same issues on a bigger scale. Because this is a radio. So can you describe this <laughs> giant green thing? How tall would you say that is? Oh my God, I don't know. 20, 20 feet? 20 feet? That's what I was going to guess. So it's about 20 feet tall, and it's very blocky, and it, it is kind of a cool green color, and it's got two giant wheels on the side that I think moved the machinery up and down for the actual stamping. 
This building used to be a foundry, and the big green thing in the middle of the warehouse-like space is a stamper that could mold the grill for a semi-truck in one fell swoop. This is one of two large buildings EcoTrust recently bought in southeast Portland. So we're standing in this very, very long room. The footprint of this building is about 16,000 square feet. And what we're looking at now will be an open atrium in the middle. That giant stamping machine will stay. And around it will be tables and chairs and places for people to convene and talk and gather and eat. And then there will be a grand staircase that wraps around that piece of machinery into a mezzanine level where some of those support services will be housed. The vision is that this building and the one next door will become a kind of hub of support for mid-sized farmers. So there will be 10 production spaces um, available to tenants to to build their businesses and scale their businesses, production businesses in here. Um, another gap that the infrastructure research highlighted was in cold storage, cold and dry storage, so managed warehousing, having a place to aggregate all the great product coming from farmers and ranchers and fishermen and artisans in Oregon and Washington, Southwest Washington having a place for it to all come together and get efficiently redistributed out to buyers. And our partner on the distribution side is Beeline Sustainable Transport. So a lot of the redistribution out to the restaurants and to the various uh, retailers will happen by bicycle, which will be great. If that last part made you roll your eyes a little, you're not alone. It does sound less efficient, though, in some ways, because, I mean, you can't carry that much on a bicycle, even with a large trailer, I mean, that you could carry in a truck, for example. So what's the thinking there? Well, you can carry up to 800 pounds on these. These are, these are actually tricycles um, with a big box on the back. So they can carry up to an 800-pound payload. And when you sit downtown, if you sit in a coffee shop with a window facing the street, sit downtown and just count the number of distribution trucks that go by on any given day, there are very large trucks with very small payloads inside making a lot of different stops. So it, it would reduce truck traffic by a quite a significant amount uh, to do some of that delivery on an efficient, you know, routed sort of um, delivery loop through downtown. Um, for the institutional scale deliveries, those will need to be done by bigger trucks because the volumes are much, much bigger. But for restaurants and small retailers, that can be done by bike pretty effectively. This new space will certainly help to address some of the big challenges facing mid-sized farmers in the Northwest, particularly in the Portland area. Narendra probably won't be a part of it, though. Not because it doesn't align with his values, it definitely does, but because at this point, he's been able to come up with a lot of his own solutions. Our table has come a long way since that first year when they didn't have anywhere to store their blueberries. Now the farm includes a storage facility, a commercial kitchen, and a co-op grocery store that sells our table products, as well as food from other farms and small businesses in the area. So we are able to keep prices competitive and, and in fact, lower. Um, anything that we buy directly from a farmer and resell, we can keep at a much lower price than a, a different store can because there's nobody in the middle, right? So all of those things allow us to be competitive price-wise. So when people come over here and they kind of figure that out and they can look out the window and see where some of the things that they're eating were grown, it's a connection of heart and soul and, and gut, you know? It's not intellectual. Of course, not everyone has access to the resources that Narendra does. And that's where EcoTrust's vision comes in. 
They're both hoping to revive the kind of regional food system our grandparents took for granted. This episode was produced by engineer Brian Kramer, editor Laura Haddon, intern Nico Kwiatkowski, and me, Julie Sabatier. Team Rendered also includes our trusted advisor, Jamie Cuddy. We get legal help from Cole Haver. The music in this episode comes from Seth Lorenzi at Two Track Mind and Jason Leonard. Our website is renderedradio.org, and if you go there right now, you'll see some awesome photos of Narendra's farm, our table, taken by Nico. You can find us on Facebook and Twitter and Instagram at Rendered Radio. And there's a super easy and free way to support us. You can write us an iTunes review. It's really, really simple to do, and it will help us reach more people. Thanks for listening. MaximumFun.org. Comedy and culture. Artist owned. Listener supported.